0: listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Come Holy Spirit, come like a fire and burn, come like the wind and cleanse. Convict, convert, and consecrate our hearts for our great good and for thy great glory. Amen. Well, it's that time of year again. We're at yet another transition point. Though this time it's something that this community has truly loved and embraced and dug into. Ash Wednesday is only three days away, which prepares us for the six week long journey through Lent, which is a time to take on a fast or a particular focus, as a way of us to draw closer, as a way of reminding us of our utter dependence on God. But before we enter into Lent, before we turn our face towards the wilderness, we are taken up a mountain. It says... Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John "'and led them up a high mountain, apart, by themselves. "'And he was transfigured before them, "'and his clothes became dazzling white, "'such as no one on earth could bleach them. "'And appeared there with him Elijah and Moses, "'who were talking with Jesus.' In this moment, we're taken up a mountain and we're given a little bit clearer of a glimpse of who it is that we will be drawing near to during that time of Lent. It's interesting, I remember having seen various depictions of the Transfiguration traveling through museums, looking in books and all that kind of stuff. And so I did a quick search, and I took a good look at a bunch of them. And the one, well, there's one of them that I found. It was a new one uh, by a contemporary artist by someone named Linny Akins. In her painting, Jesus is depicted as almost indistinguishable from the clouds and the sun. It's I think it's an oil painting, and all you really get is sort of like a little bits of nose and eyes and a sash and some sleeves. But other than that, he's all just clouds and sun. You don't even see Moses and Elijah in the image, or I couldn't find them. But the disciples, they're seen sort of on the bottom third, and they're a silhouette. But even they are starting to be washed out by light. I think what she's trying to do is trying to pull the human veil back as far as possible to show that everything is taken up in Jesus. The law, the prophets, the sky, that everything is taken up into Jesus. Trying to show the truth of Jesus' divine radiance. And in this painting, I think she does a pretty good job. In contrast, the most famous of all Transfiguration paintings is by Raphael. The colors are deep and saturated. The edges are well-defined. The painting has two main parts. The top half is up the mountain and Jesus is elevated above the ground. His clothes are his, are they're flowing and the radiance is coming from behind him. Moses and Elijah, they're also elevated, but they're a little bit lower and they're looking to him longingly. And James and John are on the ground with their eyes covered and Peter is there in the middle, worshiping, probably crying out to him that he should build a few huts. The bottom half is at the bottom of the mountain. And all the disciples are down there trying to heal the sick child that is in the section right after our our gospel. But they're unable to. And then, set way back in the distance, and you'd miss it if you didn't take a good look, is Jerusalem. The place where Jesus is about to be tried, convicted, and hung on the cross. In these two images, we are able to see so much more than just the one of them. How much of it is, is wrapped up in the transfiguration? The absolutely blinding glory of God in humanity in the Aikens painting, and God who has come down in a man to set us free. And all of this is true. And what is special about it is that all of this is true as Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem, as Jesus turns his face towards his death. Now, the second part of our gospel reading tonight is the bottom half of the Raphael painting. Peter is crying out and says to Jesus, "Jesus, while he's still radiant, let me build three booths here that they may be a place where we can come and remember this blinding beauty. And then a voice from the clouds comes seemingly to admonish Peter, telling him to listen to Jesus, though there's, I'm sure it's more than that. And then it's all over. The light is gone, the law and the prophets, they're gone. The veil is replaced, and Moses and Elijah have disappeared and everything was back as it was. That which was left is now a memory. N- not more than a memory. It's now an experience. It's an experience that would sustain them as they moved through the terrible days that were coming. Because you see, Jesus knows what it means to be human. He knows that we cannot just move through the hard times without sustenance, without something sustaining us, without him sustaining us. And so while the transfiguration may seem utterly gratuitous in that like what really happens, it is in a way, but it is also a gift that we didn't know that we that we would need until the moment that we realized we needed it and it struck me as I was sort of sitting here um, this, uh, this icon up front this is um, the burning bush. This, we actually painted this at the 4 o'clock service last week. Um, Sarah brought in the tree or the bush and, and some green leaves, and, then, and everyone went up there, took off their shoes of hallowed ground, and then we all painted the flames licking up. And, and there was this idea that, well, I'm going to translate it a little bit, is that this bush is transfigured. This bush is now an experience of Moses. It's one of Moses' experience that would sustain him through the, the hard times that he was going to face. And so, I don't know, I just wanted to lift that up because we did a cool thing at 4 p.m., and it's up there. So go up there and take a look at it. It's, it's really quite beautiful. Anyway, um, this, this gift... It's, it's of this overwhelming divine presence. This transfiguration is this overwhelming divine presence, like the bush, so that when we're in the wilderness, the experience of that gift can kind of poke through when the darkness is sort of closing in around us and in a, in a way that reminds us that God is present with us in miraculous ways in like divine radiance and unconsumed burning bushes. I mean, imagine what it, would have, what it must have been like when they came down from the mountaintop and they found life just as they left it. There was a boy whose father had been brought to him, to Jesus, to be healed and asked Jesus to help him. And Jesus said, believe. And he said, help my unbelief so that maybe he, he may be healed. Oh, if only he were up the mountain. <laughs> Because there would be no doubts. Peter, James, and John, they believed. They just saw it with their own eyes. What about this father, if only? Except this father will see his boy transfigured. He is about to see the absolutely blinding radiance of God in Jesus through the work that he was about to do. It says, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. That is blinding. Transcendence—that that is blinding divine radiance. And so with that, Jesus again commissioned his disciples and all of his followers to do the same, to take their belief and their experience of the light and beauty of God and bring it into the darkness. That will mean different things for all of us here. For some of us, it means taking that light in and letting the divine radiance of God do the work inside of us or it might mean taking the light that we've been given and taking it to a place where darkness prevails in Jesus the blinding radiance of God has come down from the mountain it has passed it has been revealed in each of us both for our own sake and when we're when we're in the wilderness and for all of those that we serve And just in case you were wondering who the next Capon from this pulpit is going to be, there's a chance that it's going to be the Reverend Reverend Fleming Rutledge. She puts it like this. (laughs) He comes down from the mountain. He comes down from the throne of majesty on high. He comes down from the infinite spaces of uncreated light and prepares to enter the darkness of human suffering in pain. God is not looking down with detachment from a great distance. God did not remain magisterially aloof somewhere over the rainbow. God is not a distant observer of our struggles. God does care as Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth sets his face towards Jerusalem, is about to become his own person, the embrace of God for all the misery of the world. And so, whenever one human reaches out for another, in the midst of suffering, whenever a person of power stoops down to help, whenever the mighty bend to the lowly, there is the Lord. Whenever you do this, you are becoming a disciple of Jesus. So as we move into this season of Lent, let the radiance of the transfiguration guide you through the wilderness that is to come. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.